Okay, Manchu, do we start? Yes, yeah, sure, Kunal. We can start now. Okay, Deepak, are you ready? Yep. Okay. okay. Uh, I wholeheartedly welcome everybody to this uh, finance SIG uh, featuring the topic of role of finance and leadership in business turnaround. I would like to start with giving a small introduction of uh, what finance SIG is all about and how does it connect well with ISB and how does it really add value to all the alumni and the whole group we have been uh, working as a part of the overall SIG group uh, with the office of alumni engagement and uh, it has been able to really garner a lot of traction with the alumni and the external community connecting it with ISB. Finance SIG of ISB is a special interest group for all ISB alumni bringing financial insights, <coughs> ongoing learning, networking, and finance perspective in running the organization. Finance SIG conducts various events, webinars, besides assisting alumni to connect with ISB faculties and other alumni to look into various assistance <coughs> they may require, be it financial management, be it mentoring, uh, be strategy or even fundraising at times. There are various on-ground events conducted by finance SIG of ISB together with other SIGs as well like startup, technology, etc. Some of the events on uh, private equities, founders and investor summits have gained a very high popularity and have seen encouraging uh, results in terms of people attending it, networking, uh, being a part of those events. 
So uh, we are excited to have Deepak as well today, uh, <clears throat> giving us the perspective on the overall uh, way in which he has led his managing direction director role, uh, not only in India, but also in the Asian business, where he has been able to turn around the overall business for a listed entity in more than 40 entities. So let me introduce uh, Deepak as well. Deepak Raj is a managing director at Keller's Asian Business Unit, based out of Singapore and has been instrumental in turning around the Asian business with a turnover of around $100 million from a loss making to a profit making in less than a year after moving from India. In India, he has uh, put his whole heart and soul for spending a little over 14 years to build the Indian business of uh, Keller of a turnaround of around 250 crore uh, and uh, heading Pan India all across, which then he also started looking at the uh, other countries as well before moving to Asian uh, business. Uh, Keller is the world's largest geotechnical uh, specialist contractor with a presence in 40 countries with an annual revenue of 2.2 billion pounds and is listed in um, FTSE London. One of the key changes he has, uh, Deepak has undertaken is in finance to do the business turnaround and this has impacted the overall strategy and completely changed the business decisions that are undertaken at Keller Asian Business Unit. He is here to share his journey, learnings and insights through a webinar for Finance SIG. So uh, I would request everyone to welcome Deepak and we are eager Deepak to hear from you. So I will not take much of the time but uh, directly uh, try to uh, start the webinar and the topic so that uh, everybody can um, share your experience. Uh, we will uh, revolve a discussion around the turnaround story of Keller, uh, where Deepak has worked, uh, worked uh, for us also to gain the insights and the learning. So it's a kind of a case study as well for all of us in terms of with a live business example, which he has recently undergone and with the man who has himself really worked on it to transition out. So that will go a long way for all of us to get the perspective and at the end of the session, we will also have a QA, and uh, which will be actually wherein people will be able to view their questions. Although we have received a lot of questions and that was very encouraging uh, for Deepak as well, which Deepak has tried to put into his discussions uh, at the time of registration as well. So uh, uh, one of the important things I would also want to highlight over here is uh, that the presentation uh, that will be running in the background is also kind of trying to add to the overall conversation that the Deepak will be having. However, that is also not necessarily linked to what he is talking at that particular moment as that is complementary to this aspect. His more focus will be around the questions and the discussions that we will be undertaking. So the Deepak, I would start with the First uh, question, uh, and uh, that is also more important to directly set the context uh, for this uh, overall conversation of about an hour, all of us, is what was the issue and what was the issue at Keller uh, Asian business and what uh, were the action items to resolve the Keller and what has been the related learnings you and what you would like to share with our alumni community. I uh, hope you guys can hear me well. Uh, 
and uh, greetings from Singapore. And though I know that at this moment, Indian fraternity, you know, today only government advised that Singaporeans would be quarantined for 14 days after arrival so, uh, in the context of coronavirus. But uh, thank you very much. I'm very privileged to, you know, speaking up on this forum and sharing my experience. And the motivation for me is this during one hour or one and a half hour, you know, one, one idea is to share about in our fellow alum community as well as to learn from all of you because life is all about learning. So, you know, Kunal, though you have introduced about what was the, you know, how, how, what is Keller and what do we do? But let me let me put the perspective about Keller is basically a very old organization. It's around 160 years old. And we work across infrastructure across the globe, 40 countries. And from management point of view, it is divided into three divisions and 22 business units. So why it is related because you know, their question was, what was the issue? So I thought it's uh, worthwhile to set the context, setting up the, about what business we do, what is the scale and how relevant it is for the bigger group like Keller, which is listed to at FTSE for last 25 years. So ASEAN business unit is one of the business units which I lead since last 18 months, sort of thing. July, 2018, I took uh, over from the old management. And, this was the main issue. If you look at ASEAN business unit, it was a historical profit business, profitable business for two decades. Keller is in Singapore, Malaysia for almost 20 years and have been profitable till 2015. And suddenly it starts going down. And if you can see that within three years, pure operationally it lost over $60 million. Then we had to make some hard decision and you know, so magnitude was so big, it almost you know paralyzed the whole group, which is a 2.3 billion dollar pound group. A hundred million dollar business can kill a big group like this, because share price. You see, in 2016, when we said there is a profit warning because we can't meet our targets, there was a plunge. Then in 2018, when there was a bigger hole whole market, whole investors lost trust on the management in London. So it took the attention of the board very seriously. It was discussed why the hell we are in Asia. Why don't we close down Asia? It's like cancer, right? When you get cancer, you want to get rid of that organ, which is creating you the problem. But then, you know, the whole management, Asia is the future growth, at least for infrastructure, because if you you know, connect back that people living here and infrastructure needs. Management said, okay, let us take a calculative move. And how do you want to operate? First, build the confidence of the board. And so a lot of work was done in the latter part of 2018 when we thought that, okay, how to build this broken business. And still there is, you know, we have to fly because still we have people, we have to pay salary, still we have to deliver the projects. So, the issue, the magnitude was just big because for a loss of, you know, let's say $35 million market was punishing us in the magnitude of $500 million. So it is not only, you know, the operating loss at ASEAN, the valuation was just going down again and again. So 
this item was just too big and uh, what we did is we looked at again going back to our you know what Konal mentioned about why why we the topic is called finance because we believe that you know or perhaps all of us believe that finance is the heart of the business it tells us a lot of things conditionally we are curious to know there are various metrics there are you know business gives the symptoms so what we did is first we looked at you know let me move on so this is my journey like you know when i took over in 2018 i was given a if you look at this graph month on month i was given a break even business and i was told that yes things are past we have sorted out let's i looked at the books everything is cool and though you know i was not coming from outside i came from keller india where i built my career so i was aware about the business i was aware about the product lines i was aware about a bit market i'll not say that because southeast asian market is different than indian market clientele is different but then when i started looking into the detail the issues were just big and when things started getting notified then a lot of finances who came on the surface like you know you can say cost whether and balance sheet aggressive revenue recognition loss making projects so i think the learning for me is you know the fundamental of the business was not right as an organization uh starting from senior management they are a bit away from the business so yeah organization structure accountability maybe i can talk about maybe let me move on yeah so this is what we put together a team to find including cfo from london what went wrong so we defined the issues into seven categories number one was purpose and strategy as a business profit or let me put as a commercial organization our goal is to improve shareholder value that one we do by making profits so there is a bit lot of disconnection at senior leadership at asean versus why they are in the job so that piece was a bit taken strategy was also a bit diluted because people were more towards growing the revenue but while you know investors reward the company or reward the management for growing the profit not only the revenue or you know cash flow let me put this way leadership leadership as i said earlier that they are a bit away from the organizations they are not sure what is happening in the business and hence decisions were not correct we are accepting the job which we are supposed to reject and we are rejecting the job which we are supposed to pick up and that will you know again coming from india that sounds familiar in india also many of the businesses houses at least in infrastructure has closed down in recent times maybe last five or ten years and that goes again there also because the leaders or founders were bit away structure and accountability on a structure piece the whole asean business unit was earlier structured as product lines so we operate in almost five countries in southeast asia and which has got legal systems different taxation separates but all of the management was more focused towards from singapore management structure was set up in singapore and they were like flying in flying out but 
having said that majority of our business was at that point of time was in Malaysia. So again, the decision makers were not aware about ground reality. Accountability, this was the piece, something which I would say that link to the organizational culture. How do you build the culture? Is there any blame culture in the organization? You go to funds and A, you go to, let's say, business development A, why did we sign this job? Then he has an excuse that operational cost is more. Then you go to operational, operation will say, oh, finance gave me that number. So this whole piece of things were not good. And that connects back to the culture, culture of transparency. You know, we are in Asia where we know that bureaucracy is all set in our organization or we just tend to respect the position, right? And we don't have, you know, habit or training to say no to our boss, though we feel that it is not a good decision. So that is the same thing in ASEAN also, similar to India. That piece was not correct. Capability. In the whole setup of ASEAN, like as I mentioned in my starting that it has been almost 20 years in this part of the world. And we have done a couple of MNAs too. And MNAs were done on more pure from entrepreneur based company. So having said that, having said that we the synergy piece and that was not well built in the past and when we scaled up the business it became one of the biggest barrier on capability issue and obviously market market has to support whatever business we are in and in 2018 there was political change in malaysia and uh, government has just stopped all the infrastructure project so that also contributed partly so yeah i mean if you look at the broadly the issues the way my experience has been in across everything you talk from a structure you talk from leadership you talk about uh functional tooling we talk about accountability and so we took a step by step which maybe as we go along perhaps you know i should be able to bring more lights or insight on that so great Deepak for sharing the context, uh, I would now like to uh, have you to probably the action items uh, that you probably did on um, some of the key things that is there and probably that will also give all of us some kind of a sense on how to really take ourselves out of the mess rather than really staying away from it altogether. Because this kind of sounds to me like a turnaround journey and uh, I'm sure you should have been posted as a turnaround man, which you eventually came out as. So I think fundamentally, when I came in, uh, and obviously, you know, when I was given uh, the key of Southeast Asia, and I was briefed by the CEO that, okay, though it is 2016, 17, we have lost money, but we have improved quite a lot because he was also making that statement from the financial statements and uh, from financial statement as i shown you earlier that first six months was looking good and then he says okay some of the product lines are facing some challenges and maybe you'll be successful bringing your insights from india and then maybe we'll we'll fly again in asean but when i came on here and i started looking finance numbers talking to the people visiting our 
So the people who are not aware about infrastructure business, just to put some more light, we are the business. Our revenue stream comes from the projects. We sign contracts, we deliver in the field, we collect money. That is the way we run the business. And projects could be either EPC or item rate contract or lump sum. So depending upon you know what sort of uh, customer expectation it is. So during my early days itself, I would say in first month itself, when I sit, used to sit with our general managers or executional people, they used to say, wow, everything is good, all projects. You know, we used to have around 25 projects across Southeast Asia at any point of time. And project size vary from half a million dollar to $35 million, yeah. And uh, so you see it, you listen, everybody is happy, things are good. But when it comes to the book closure, then everything is upside down. So that gave me a signal that something is not right. Either our, you know, with all due respect to finance fraternity, either our accountants are not doing the right thing or our operations are not knowing the ground. So I said, okay, let me look at the you know, books of accounts. And then when you look at the books of the accounts and the way they used to record unknowingliness, how the procurement system was working, how we are trying to, you know, mobilize our equipment and what is the connection at the job site. So there was a big disconnect. And at that point of time, we used to have an accounting system on POC. I think Kunal, you might be the right person you know, to explain to our other alums, but it is percentage on completion waste, right? And in that method, what you do is you just take cost to complete and as and when cost incurs, you recognize the revenue. So during the journey, I realized that that is not something right because if site has performed only 30% of project, but however, for some or other reason, they have incurred 50% of the cost. In finance books of accounts, revenue recognition was meant, it was like you know, it's a 50% of revenue, which was not correct. So I raised the alarm to the our bosses in London and they picked it up. And uh, today, I mean, you know, learning is we do earned value method of recognition, which perhaps suits well for our sort of business. What you are telling is that you actually moved from uh, a POC method to a cash flow method of accounting. So that has actually impacted your organizational strategy and the way of funding. Some background noise, I guess. Yeah. So essentially, uh, you move to a cash flow of accounting. So that is one of the key changes you have done. Can you give us a couple of more pointed insights in these lines uh, as to what you have done? So another another big piece. Uh, let me say the big piece. Um, you know, I move out from accounting to the big piece of the change. Is first is the business model. Is Business model is if you, because we are a heavy asset, construction business is a heavy asset business. So we need to buy equipment and then from there we generate our revenue and profit. Yeah. 
So when I came in, our business was having close to around 50 million dollar worth of asset. And business was generating around 160 to 170 million dollar worth of revenue annum. So we analyzed it and looking at our cost structure, it was not making sense. For that set of asset, perhaps the whole business model can only work when you do 250 million dollar worth of revenue. For which market was not ready to, you know, either we are not ready to go so aggressive or market was not ready to pay such type of quality projects. So what we did is we said, okay, let's make some calculated and very controlled exit from some of the businesses, which doesn't make profit and short time we can exit. And if future we are back in the business, we can think to come. So we exited a couple of businesses from Singapore and Malaysia market and cut down our 160 or 70 million dollar worth of revenue to 100 million dollar. So that was the very bold move which was proposed and accepted by the board and the CEO. So essentially what you are trying to say is that it's a big, big change that a financial analysis that actually led you to exit certain profit lines altogether yes. and you took that call uh, very well. Uh, so, uh, also one of the things that I understand uh, is you went on to implement ZBB and uh, zero-based budgeting has been found to be one of the very instrumental uh, thing in a lot of organizations globally. So, for the benefit of everybody, including there are a lot of people from startups, a lot of from corporates, if you can just take us through what is ZBB and how it has helped you and what are the some tips and tricks around implementing ZBB that will go along with it. Yeah. So the zero-based budgeting, uh, again, while we are looking at uh, looking at the restructuring of the business, then we are trying to work out that what is the right size and a scale, which we can be very confident that we will turn around this business. Because the goal was like do or die. We used to have around 800 employees. So the stake was just too big. And uh, for that reason, what we did is that we selected, we gone to our segmentation, what are the clientele which has performed good, we have relationship and which will give us continuous revenue. And to do that, what sort of equipments or asset models you need? What type of organizations we need? So we gone, from starting counting the salary, counting the depreciation, counting the office cost, counting the utility. From there we came up and then we realized, okay, for let's say for $25 million worth of asset, perhaps $100 million worth of business, given the profitability is a sustainable business or it will help us coming out of the hole. So you are able to connect. The zero-based budget is nothing but you count your dollars for your cost structure, and then you see how much revenue you can generate. What could be your under recovery or over recovery from capacity point of view. And then year on year, you calculate and monitor it. Okay. So uh, now uh, you also headed India business for a long time and you built it kind of right from scratch wherever it is today doing a turnover of about 250 crores so tell us some insights in terms of uh, uh, how core do you see as a leadership position the role of finance 
how much as a leader you need to get into finance or how really is finance going to impact uh, in terms of be it a founders or a startup and what are your thoughts around it so i think as a leader i believe that you know that leadership sits in almost uh, many of the managerial position or at least functional head let it be finance let it be hr and uh, finance is i i see as like you know in our day to day life is as a blood test you know it tells you everything whatever you need it and whatever matrix it is some organization if you talk about let's say our business our business runs largely on you know operating profitability and cash somebody business runs on more on you know let's say you talk about other big businesses across the globe they focus more on valuation so important is what is your goal and what is your purpose of existence and how do you want to be seen seen yourself and that from that perspective you can figure it out okay i want to focus on somebody wants to focus on rosi you know that okay i have employed so much capital what is my return on the capital okay so from that perspective i believe as a business leader it is very necessary that we understand that how we are going to generate revenue what is our cost structure and what sort of segments i am going to play you know in asia we know that okay except few countries which are little bit fair you always get into that you know payment risk credit risk i mean i have come from india you mentioned kunal that india before moving to asean my 30% time was spent on requesting client please pay to me <laughs> and because their cash flow was bad and finally you cannot run away from that and uh, and once you don't have cash your projects will suffer because your partners will not support to you for long time and which is quite genuine so everything is very well connected if finance is cash flow is no good it means a business development guys have gone and signed a wrong contract with the wrong customer whose credit check has not been done well finance will suffer if finance suffer operation will suffer so it's very a spiral everything is very sequentially connected so at leadership position i think i believe each one of us should be able to see that on day one and then accordingly you guide your management team or leadership team something you know like do's and don'ts and a gross level tell us something about which profitability statement you will refer the one coming from your fpna team the mis team so called one or the one that is the so called accounting balance sheet and how would you link it to taking business decisions yeah so this is again linked to if i connect back to uh, our story so far you know before i came in people were largely focused on pnl mis right revenue and cost profit because operating income was one of the metrics which management used to monitor or let me say reward the leadership team and somehow during the journey people mistakenly started talking the some cost on the balance sheet which is a big sort of uh, i can say that surprise to me when i came here and so now we look at 
our PNL we look at, income statement we look at, we look at our balance sheet, we see how both are moving time to time. So today our balance sheets are very clean and which re resonates with our PNL. And then third piece is cash flow because you know, you know, some smart person has said growth is vanity, profit sanity, cash is the king. So unless last dollar coming into our bank, it is still in the papers. So yeah, so we look at all together, cash statement, balance sheet, PNL, at least I review together with our finance director every month on month. Great. Uh, working capital has been one of the uh, key uh, thing that all organizations would want to look at closely and especially the new organizations or the startups. So, uh, Tell us something about what you did with working capital and uh, how does liquidity matter to you, uh, be it in India or be it in uh, uh, the Asian business back in Singapore? And um, how? what is it that probably you would advise to all the new generation entrepreneurs in terms of uh, uh, liquidity and the overall management from a CEO's perspective? I think working capital, as I said that, you know, if we, if we start asking ourselves question that, yes, cash is the king, cash is the king. So obviously working capital will come first in the line rather than revenue or profit. And from that perspective, I think we have been very, very successful. I tell you, how did we do that here? Because when I took over, our working capital was around 130%. And... <laughs> which was just completely, you know, unacceptable, but that was the reality. And that was contributed largely by the way we did bookkeeping. As I mentioned to you earlier that revenue was booked, but I still performance has not been done at the site. So client was not paying and it was sitting under our whip. And uh, second thing was, so today we are around 30%. So it's a great progress. Uh, so we did a couple of things there. Number one, what we did is whenever now we go as a our sales team, when they go to talk to the client or negotiate to the client, we negotiate our prices together with payment terms. Okay, so that is a bit rare. If you look at in Asian context, the way, at least in our sort of business that client would like to first nail down the price and then Ideally, they try to push you on their payment terms. And in some cases, ideally, they are saying, okay, you invest money to do projects for me. So we change that. Now we say, okay, we do, you want discount. Why don't you pay me some advance, 20%, 30%, right? So that way we try to manage our, because at the end, if some customer has not paid you for one year, from Indian context, you lost 10% because that is the cost of financing. So these are the discussions we brought in together with finance team, with our operations and sales team. So I think finance team, I believe that should be proactive, not only in bookkeepings, they should be the partner, business partnering with our sales team, operation team. Are we able to make claim on the right time, due time, certificates, cash collections? From Keller context, liquidity, I think personally to me, this is my 15th year in the 
Taylor, but we never faced that because we are a part of a big group. We have big, big banking facility in the London. Let it be HSBC or City or DBS. They, we have overdraft. But this is something which now managements are being monitored across Kellen. That what is the working capital? How much cash our business is bringing in? Not how much operating income business is bringing in. So that is a big change Keller is doing now. And we uh, attend uh, what you were referring to now. So uh, when you did this big change, essentially, uh, what also happens is that you really need that kind of a wherewithal to manage that kind of a change in this kind of a global organization. If you look at um, some of our alums as well, a lot of them are actually working in organizations which are undergoing different kind of a roller coaster ride and challenges. So now, what are the learnings that you would like to bring, especially in terms of communicating it and navigating it to the senior management? Um, and what kind of a role finance plays in connecting these dots? So I think for our LM group or a starter or founder, I think what is my learning there is, you know, if I need to do a startup or found a company going forward, I think the important is how much headroom I have, right? And so accordingly, I select my clientele or, you know, in, if you look at from Indian context, you can work with the government clients, you can work with the uh, EPC contractor, civil contractor. So first piece, I would suggest that please, we must review our client who is going to sign our check. What is their financial positioning? Either in our current business or if they have group company because they are so linked. If somebody is suffering at one place, surely impact will come at the other place today or tomorrow. So that is number one thing. Number two is also, you know, when you select your partner, how do you, let's say, I'm just using some example. Let's say I sign my contract with my client uh, 30 days payment terms means I do credit for 30 days. Am I passing with my supplier, supply chains, um, vendors, suppliers of similar set of arrangements? So these are some basics I would say the business should have. Otherwise, you, one should calculate their cash conversion cycle. Means if I'm pumping money from my pocket or from my overdraft, how much time it takes from my customer to pay me back? Do I have such headroom? So I think there are established practices across the business. I believe that these are the basics. Either we have learned in our management or any business uh, does, does that to calculate that. that uh, one needs to probably go and do the basics right in times of such crisis. Yeah, yeah. So basic, basic is important, like, you know, that, you know, when you join, I, I know, coming back to the finance, let's say when I joined in here for a $150 million business, when my FD used to come to me, okay, before, you know, signing off the monthly report, we have a culture of signing monthly report, which goes to the CEO. And uh, so when he used to come, it used to be three hours. Today it is three days. 
Okay, so I go to the local business. I go to Indonesia. I go to Malaysia. Sit with our team, which gives me a feeling that what number I'm signing off is genuine, right? And what are the risks? Do we need to cover for this risk today or wait? So these things I say basics. Nowadays, it's so happened that you know we have a lot of ERPs in the world, right? And one piece of advice, if I can suggest to our colleagues or alums or their organization is that ERPs are meant to be used by us. We are not supposed to be used by ERP. So that was one of the things which I learned it here that, okay, this is coming from ERP, but then what is happening behind ERP? It was difficult for some of our junior finance colleagues to answer because they are not into the business. They are not into doing the basics. Uh, interesting thing, technology, the way in which it plays a role uh, really changes and uh, if you are using technology, might as well understand it well. But uh, in these times, uh, it is almost difficult to probably leave out technology altogether. So it's a good balance. But I would say, uh, has really business analytics uh, really helped you in terms of defining your economic model as well? Yes, Kunal, it, it helped quite a lot because, you know, at the end, once these tools, what we use either, you know, I mean, Excel, it also does it. Only thing is it's just too tight, you know, tidy as well as it needs a lot of manpower. And in countries like Singapore, where manpower is damn expensive, we need to depend on the, you know, advanced tools or ERPs. But what I mean to say that, Whatever we analyze, it's important. It is connecting back to if we are in manufacturing, it has to be connected back to the you know soft floor. And if we are into construction, it has to be connected back to our job sites or retail or whatever business it is that there is a certain cost model. And accordingly, within that, it has to suit well, then only it will survive for longer time. So tell me how you navigated across uh, the crisis situation with your chairman and uh, how basically you all try to manage the shareholders as well because you have a large pool of shareholders across the globe and stock price must have taken all kinds of volatility under the sun. It took, it was, as I said to you that I remember that I came in July, I brought my family in October. So July to October, I was doing off on off on from Mumbai to Singapore. And by the time it was very much clear that we need to let go with deep heart because we have to let go few, you know, few hundreds employees and product lines. And, uh, but October, there was a board meeting board was in Singapore. I had to present to board because they wanted to know how come so quickly things got changed within three months. Right. And it was not so a small change. So they were keen to understand what went wrong. And during that process, perhaps they were trying to examine that, am I ready to take the another journey and in a reduced role to bring this business back into shape or should we shut down the business completely, not restructure completely closed down. So yeah, I mean, again, they have also, as I said, a couple of examples, what we have gone through zero based budgeting, economic model. I also changed the whole 
business structure we used to run product size our pnl here but then i changed to country model so now we have a country model where each country is responsible for their pnl i sit at center to coordinate share the resources which we need country so it gives a sort of accountability they understood it yes we understand what is this business all about how to make money how to collect cash and how to go about it so ideally they gave us a year time they said 2019 do or die if you're not out of the hole okay deepak i'll find you another job no worry but <laughs> we'll walk out from asia so that was the language they used to have and i think um, our top management in london did good job managing investors though there were hard questions being asked at every trading update but i think they put it together well and it was a bit i'll say short term 3 to 4 months october 2018 we gave market announcement of profit uh, drop and january onwards we have started making money in a small level so they started building the trust and yeah here we are when half year when we say that asean is back in the business in fact they rewarded showed their confidence in management how uh, has a call that you had taken to take all the losses and provisions hit at a go help you as an organization because there may be bubble across various other organizations and i am sure a lot of people would like to know that when you are riding on a tiger when you don't know how to get off it something like similar to satyam how to really get off it when you really want to get off it so what how has it helped really and yeah. is it something that you would advise to everybody going forward as well <laughs> it depends it depends again you know <laughs> because you know in july first when i said oh look when i was given a break even i said no no there is a hole of 10 million dollar everybody was looking at me uh, that oh, look there is a leadership change perhaps deepak is trying to play safe so watch out so then in august i sent another 5 million so it took lot of attention to build their confidence and you know if you look at our board structure we have two executive and seven non executive so the as futsu guidelines it seems that i'm not very much expert into that but non executives has to outnumber executives so chairman and other non executive directors were pretty upset because they were, they were signing uh, the annual reports and they felt that oh how come surely this 35 million in 2018 is coming something from the past too due to poor accounting and they asked us clean it up tell us what is the number we'll go to the market so i think they they made and they supported me quite boldly because it is not me who has to manage investor it is the ceo and the chairman in london has to manage the investors so once they supported me and then we cleaned the slate and we said okay let's start a fresh slate did it help uh in terms of now the baggage is behind and you are able to completely focus newly on the new business yeah yeah tell us about the acquisitions that were done by keller asian and uh, 
uh, what are the learnings around acquisitions and mergers that you all did? So, we, we came, I think, in 1994 in Malaysia, then 1995 in Singapore. And we have been doing around, let me say, $70, $80 million at that point of time with our homegrown products and solution where we had command, our teams were trained, and we know how to make money in that product line. Then, you know, as we have studied in the books, I think Asia was growing and Keller wanted to grow in Asia. So in 2010, we purchased a company in Singapore, which was new product line, which we are not expert, and well as which is of perhaps bigger than the size of Keller at the time in Asia. So acquisition was done for a bigger company or almost similar size company. And uh, with the with the hope that you know synergies are there and will be over, you know expand our market base as well as clientele and during the process we grow but i believe that uh, we didn't push ourselves too hard to find synergy was there but integration piece i think you know in hindsight i can say that if i have to do m and a tomorrow i would focus more on integration because keller was or is a corporate while we purchase a company which is an entrepreneur run company very successful but you know we, many of us will acknowledge that the way corporate is run is entirely different than entrepreneur run company right here there is a delegation of authority there is a delegation of decision making while many of entrepreneur run company the super boss calls all the sort right let it be one dollar or $10 million, so sort of micromanagement sort of things, yeah, at least in, in this part of the world. Maybe in US it might be different. So that piece slowly it started falling apart because no line leadership, when the entrepreneur was about to retire, there was nobody whom you can hand over. And for old killer guys, they felt that they are not trained. So it started slipping through between the, you know, you know, the uh, leakage, yeah. And then finally, it started showing in finance reports, balance sheets, work winning was low, our capacity was high. Even though we are work winning, we are not performing. So all these things was building it up. And when these things were not public, are public in the sense because the issue started coming up in 2016, we went ahead and we purchased another similar company in Malaysia in 2016. 14, yeah. Again, with the same intention, again, the piece of integration was missing. So I believe that Keller had learned very hard lesson in m &A, at least in Asia. So, I mean, advice point of view, I think we need to be pushing ahead before we go and buy the companies. What are the synergies? How we are going to integrate? What is the management bad with? What are the succession planning? All these basic questions are has to be well thought through before we should progress. So integration plan is the key. One should not do mergers and equations without a good integration plan. Yeah, of course. Otherwise, unless, you know, I mean, each company, like we believe Cisco is the good in MNAs across the world. And think surely they have a specific team which is fully aligned till it happens, right? Now tell us something about business and finance in India and globally. 
some of the key difference and related tips and tricks as to what are the things uh, that uh, one can noticeably do well in India, which is probably not done, but you get from your global experience. I think if I need to connect, because, you know, even in ASEAN business, let's say I also operate in Indonesia, which is more or less like India. So at times it becomes hard, you know, and while Singapore is very matured, matured uh, uh, system and processes, people are capable, government is supportive. So I think from business perspective, I think fundamental would be what for I'm doing a business. If I'm the startup or founder or entrepreneur, what is my end goal? I understand that end goal is making money, but making money could be, am I developing the infrastructure afterwards? My goal is to sell the company to somebody and through that process, I make money or I want to bring, you know, manufacture or develop the product through that. I want to make money or I want to make money through valuation. So that piece has to be clear in our mind that what for I'm entering into the business. And let's say now, once we say that, yes, the business purpose is like corporate. I want to make a big The key key would be again. How do you yourself onto what is my revenue stream is it profitable what are my differentiator in this and how am i able to collect the cash because right now in india at least the cash crunch which we see is a big issue i mean i think it just still remains even for our company you know I mean, I still believe that I left the current managing director and his senior leadership team at least to spend 30, 35% time running behind the clients is paying because legal system is weak, right? You can't sue your client for not paying you. While in Singapore, if any client doesn't pay to me, I go to the government next day. I have cash from the company. There is SOP. So. Now, coming back to finance side, I think here comes finance side is involvement, in my view, that it depends upon which whatever position you are in. I think one should uh, involve in the business model and try to push himself to understand that how this company is making money and what are the risks. And at, again, I can compare with Keller. Unfortunately, I don't have any other company experience Kunal. So maybe you could add more on it, but from what I realized, at least in, uh, ASEAN and India finance at a starting phase, more or less same, what was in ASEAN, but now we are trying to give leeway to finance. We are allocating platform. And also obviously now I have a very good leader in ASEAN on India. So they are pushing themselves to behave as a business partner. They are able to challenge business leader. Well, you know, if I go and I say, I want to buy $2 million worth of piece of equipment, then they try to push us that, okay, what is the cash flow plan? You know, is it necessary or can we not do it within 1 million? So these sort of discussions you need together with your finance partnership. Interesting uh, that to involve the line functions and the people from various uh, different uh, uh, 
uh, functionality and especially finance into the core decision making to make sure that uh, you are actually trying to take up. I believe that's so relevant in India as well. While that culture is picking up, but it's fairly there in corporates and MNCs, but it needs to be used more rigorously rather than just going and taking decisions as a founder or as a top head guy of the organization, might as well involve the larger team down the line, have a more better buying and alignment across the teams, which will also help to execute the things in a way more better manner. Uh, could you also highlight in a crisp, maybe three words or so, some of the leadership traits uh, that you believe that are required as a top leadership traits in a turnaround situation? Okay, so I think leadership trait, I would say that first of all, one should believe that I can turn it around. Okay, so trait is not giving up, determination, right? That is the key. Uh, because personally, I was very safe in India before taking up this role. But then I pushed myself, I said, okay, it's, a, you know, I have built a business. Now India business is a $100 million business doing well. And this one, I thought, okay, it's 150 when I took over, but then things were not good. Today it is also 100, but it's very well balanced. There is a greater purpose. So I think number one trait is determination to, you know, get it right. Yeah. Number two, I would suggest that personal drive to make the things happen. When I say personal drive to make your hands dirty, I may not be subject expert of finance, which I am not. I may not be, you know, good equipment guy in our sort of business where I have a lot of equipments. I have to make everyday decision, either buying or selling or repairing the equipment, which costs money. And there comes your people skills that hiring good people around you, motivating them and trusting them. Third piece, I'll say trait should be transparency. I should be bold enough to tell the same story to my colleagues as well as to my boss. I should not be political. That, you know, if any problem happens, in fact, today itself, today, you know, I, at our job sites, we have two incidents. So should I blame to our employees or should I step up and see what happened? And being leader, I'm responsible for that. So these are the couple of basic things again, either in turnaround or even in non-turnaround. A good leader should have determination, transparency, and at times make his or her hands dirty. Okay. And uh, if I were to ask you, would you choose growth versus profitability? And would you probably go for the growth at all cost culture, especially in case of your suggestions for startups? What would you choose? I would suggest, I think, growth versus profit. We have to see. I mean, I give you a classic example. Right now, you know, tomorrow we have, now we are out of turnaround. That was my 2019 goal to come out of the hole. Now we are well set. So now tomorrow we are looking at our strategy, three-year strategy. Okay, we are still not in Philippines. We are still not in Myanmar. We are still not in Cambodia. Hong Kong, we walked out. So what shall we do? So we are going to look around again that governance risk compliance risk taxation risk bangladesh we went you know 
one of the thing learning we had now we are realizing is bringing out money is damn tedious from bangladesh so these are the learnings we are having so surely when we are talking about growth either product line or market growth we should be very very cautious and connect back to profitability and that is my take on that when you uh, uh, speak to the old saying from jack welch times that leader has to manage people identify right people motivate and retain them incentivizing them for maximum productivity that's been kind of a traditional long drawn role of a leader doing reviews and getting their people driven or would you actually be there to say that there is a strategic role shift of a leader to do a little larger allocation of the time to other areas of finance technology and business analytics like only your 60% of your time as a leader and a ceo you would probably spend with people as per the theory of jack welch so would you really stick to that or you would actually try and shift that little bit towards other things um, yeah, i think i i have demonstrated perhaps i would i would not say that 100% of jack welch but yes closely the reason is in fact i stopped incentivizing people for productivity in our business and initially there was a resistance but now we are back because you know every individual employee if if they say okay i stop the machine because you are not paying me then we have you know wrong people in our business okay but having said that we should also take care that they are taken care well there is a growth of individual if the guy is doing same job for last 10 years there is a fundamental problem either you should promote the guy or you should fire the guy one should not stick long time these are the metrics i do it for myself that okay how is my colleagues growing not from the salary point of view from responsibilities point of view am i giving him right sort of support right sort of training am i investing in him so perhaps these are these are the things i do doing a shorter uh, let me put this way in the shorter version but i wish that i should be doing this more in you know coming years would you choose market share or market share with profitability hey, that is awesome <laughs> <laughs> that sounds always awesome but if you see real life practice i always find people only running behind market share and market share um, we, we change you change just to put on, just to put on that uh, our earlier strategy was we wanted to be world's leading geotechnical solutions which got changed early this march that we want to be huh? preferred we wanted we want to be now preferred geotechnical geotechnical solution not only leading so that sort of given answer that prefer when somebody say that it has to work win win it should not work only one side that's interesting pricing decisions are one of the very biggest drivers as per research in terms of organizational profitability and generally these are uh, revolving around the financial leaders within the organization uh, you did some pricing decision changes 
by changing the pricing of the contracts, looking at cost plus, etc. Uh, tell something about it to uh, uh, us in terms of the learnings that you gained from uh, influencing the pricing decision and how would you really drive it as a process within the organization? So, you know, normally in our sort of business, you know, you can do pricing largely by two. Before I come in, largely it was cost-based pricing. Our team used to calculate the cost from internal equipment, raw materials, people, etc. And then they had certain margin expectations or guidance given by the top management and they had to go and try to sell. And, uh, you know, then you negotiate and finally end up the position. But during that, when I came in now, what we are trying to do is wherever opportunity exists, we go for value based pricing. We try to do client batna calculation that what are the other alternatives he has like you know is my competitor we do competitor pricing what price he is going to place and what are his alternative product lines so considering that we place our price that is price a then we also calculate our cost calculation then from margin expectation that gives us price b then it comes Sorry. Yeah. Process part of finance function and finance function is very much involved to do this, is it? Oh yeah. So right now this type of is done by the sales department to, together with operations. And finance function, what they do is they show the mirror to our sales department and operation department month on month from the similar type of product line, similar type of project. But big projects, finance gets involved to do the credit check, do the nitty gritty, procurement risk, and other risk. What are the key drivers for making investment decisions? Maybe you can highlight one or two key metrics quickly. Investment decisions. So investment decisions, largely we do based on a strategic sense or since we are on equipment, you know, heavy asset time to time, because, you know, looking at global front that, you know, safety is one of the issue once equipment replacement model. So investment, let's say right now we are working out some of the strategy to expand our product line in Singapore. So it needs certain investment. What will be the, you know, expected cash flow from that individual equipment. So we try to analyze that. And then is that equipment giving us some competitive advantage or we are going into the cost war. So these are some fundamentals questions we ask ourselves or our team and try to tick mark and then we take the decision. Provisions has been a silent hidden thing under the bed and it really Kills organizations, as you explained, that the provisions are something which try and uh, show a different picture of balance sheet. So that was a great understanding from you that to play well with provisions and to do that, the best way to go about is is to really look at the cash flow and manage the cash flow. Deepak, we can't leave you uh, without answering one of the most important questions since you are based out of Singapore. How should leaders respond to current situation due to Corona scare in India and across the globe? 
Okay, so it's very interesting, very interesting question. I think I must share what is happening in our business. So first of all, and that will give a good corporate governance to all of us, and which I really feel proud of. That what are the advanced thinking a big corporates do it. So currently, since February, mid-February, we have travel advisory to our team because you know that we keep on, I personally keep on traveling every second week. I'm in some other country in Southeast Asia. So, you know that, you know, should I go, should I not go? So we try to promote like webinars or this video calls, etc. And um, even in office or our job, job sites, you know, people go for temperature check and some declaration, China, Korea, Italy now, I don't know how many countries will come in moving forward. And so that is one piece to take care of well-being of yourself, your family and your colleagues and isolate if you are having some symptoms, touch wood so far, business is clean. But we are now working this week and following week business continuity plan. Because we are into business where we buy supply chain from Germany, okay, China, we are not much or even local raw materials we purchase. What happens when our supply chain gets disrupted? So today I, you know, we had some initial discussion, but we need to map out some plan and put together to the, our board because our investors are behind it that, you know, we are at the center, Southeast Asia, it has started from China, then Singapore was the second country which has highest cases. And my ASEAN business is heavyweight is Singapore. So still we are working on Kunal, but what I like about it is management attention on these things are very high. They are ready to support us, you know, from travel. We have canceled a number of meetings across scalar group right now. We are supposed to have our board was supposed to visit India in late March, which was canceled under COVID-19. So, yeah, so I think so far so good, but I don't know which direction it is going because things are changing every day. And uh, it's very, very difficult to predict. Situation is very panicky in India as well, but definitely not as severe as you are sounding off in Singapore. People are working quite normal over here, except that they are avoiding any kind of a global movement um, with all the awareness and the drive that corporates and government are taking to do it. But would you then kind of still suggest some kind of a red alert in India as well for the companies? Um, especially with respect to the supply chain aspect that you highlighted. I think, see, the, I think if I look at, you know, that if, if supply chain get disrupted, let's talk about uh, what industry. I mean, India is like, you know, the big country and we have our in-house, like Singapore doesn't have anything from Singapore. Even I get brinjal, cauliflower, either from India or Malaysia, right? So if this countries get impacted, you don't have supply chain, then you are dead. Like uh, if you look at right now within Singapore, the hotels and airlines and restaurants have gone very down because people are afraid. It's all panic. But when you come to corporates, I have come to know a couple of civil contractors, building sectors. They had almost 10,000 Chinese employees who were working in Singapore. They have not returned. So obviously his business is very, very 
down right now because he cannot do anything. While our side, we are looking at largely, let's say, here protocol today, I, my, I took my daughter to hospital because she was sick. And first thing what they did is they isolate me and my family completely in separate room, which was first disinfected. Then I was said they are not, I was not allowed to walk even in the corridor. And then doctor came with full gears to see me because my daughter had cough and fever a few days back. I mean, from that perspective, I think, uh, you know, Singapore has been very proactive and managed it very well because it's a small country. Uh, from India side to run the business, because it is so contiguous, uh, I'm more worried rather than business that, you know, today is 52 case, how quickly it is going to spread. Because business-wise, we can manage, I guess, in my view, unless there is a supply chain from outside the country. Deepak, that was great to hear from you. We will now open up for questions and answers. Uh, so Q&A uh, from anyone and anybody who would like to ask the question may actually get initiated. I'm getting one of the questions in terms of uh, how basically the role uh, of uh, CFO and other VPs would actually transition to a CEO and what are your tips or thoughts around it? Oh, very nice question. <laughs> so whoever has asked, good, good to be ambitious and I think you can do that, nothing wrong. Uh, so I think one of the great leverage finance colleagues have is, you know, you are the heart, as I said earlier, and you understand how business makes money. Even my current CEO is, he was a CFO when we are turning around, now he's the CEO. So, so you have great leverage and I'll say that extra advantage. One thing I would encourage to do more is get towards people's side, because once you reach to the CEO level or leading the business, Majority of your task is working with people and selecting the right people into the right position. Rest, I think, gets done. Once you have right people at right place, they will do for you. You take care of them, you train them, you grow them, and they do their task. And second advice, if at all I can see, surely when you are CFO, you are already close to the business. Right, and stay close to the business. That's interesting. Uh, how how about the operational piece? Say, assume uh, persons are not from finance, but they are very good at operationals or other capacities. How would, how would the transition happen for them? I think there, I think other than finance people, if I look at any business, majority of ops people had to put hard work understanding the finance. Because when you are the leader and when your CFO comes with a proposal, you should be able to ask basic questions because you have to build knowledge from that data, you know, some 
if he says, okay, this investment gives me so much cash flow, you should be able to believe in it and little bit, you know, critically analyze it. Because the, at the end, either you say yes or no, it remains with you and your team. So for operational colleagues or LMs, my advice would be, you know, spend more time with the finance, look at your PNL, if there is an opportunity, look at how cash flow is impacting, what is working capital, et cetera, et cetera. Next question is about future of digital payments. So uh, what is your comment on this? Uh, digital payments. I mean, if you take out the payment word, we are trying to become digitalized because we cannot keep away ourselves. In our projects, so far it has been, you know, manual preparation, but now we are doing, you know, app-based that piece is working on payment i think i'm sorry that i'm not able to visualize in a larger way to answer directly this question surely it is a good tool india we have seen in last few years has gone so high here and also in this part of the world it is but how long it is going to go very difficult to predict at this stage at least in my mind Can you talk about key frameworks on uh, business reporting for results in terms of uh, the overall uh, way in which the businesses are structured in India and in Singapore as well? Means you mean that uh, monthly dashboard reports? So I believe the question is around that. Yeah. Is about the reporting angle of the things and how does it impact decision making? Okay. Any different tricks around it? Yeah, it is, it is. Um, like we have, if again, I try to analyze, give considering my positioning. So every month we submit three reports to our global uh, head office. One is financial dashboard, which talks about revenue, operating income, ROSI, some key projects, how they are performing cash flow, overhead, equipment cost, working capital, uh, trade payables, trade receivables, inventory, all sort of, you know, finance metrics, which is needed. And I personally write a two-pager business update report, which talks, uh, which revolves around the market, which revolves around the people, which revolves around any business improvement proje project I'm launching. And some of the non-financial metrics, like, uh, you know, let's say, you know, we plan to run 100 piece of equipments in the month. We have run only 80. Why so? And how is the trend going to be in next four months or five months? So that is largely alignment. And after that reporting happens, there is a conversation with divisional president. We go through together, make some decisions from there. So these three uh, documents give the guidance to the management that what sort of business we are doing and what is some heads up on some difficulty or challenges or opportunities. And then we connect back on the following days to discuss about it. That's interesting. That's interesting. The next question is around uh, daily practice one leader has to perform to acquire expertise. Again, Kunal, I lost you. 
So I'll repeat the question that I have received. What is the daily practice one leader has to perform to acquire expertise? Very broad question. <laughs> <laughs> so one, but it, it uh, tells you to speak about one. Yeah, yeah. I think you, I would suggest that, you know, as a leader, you know, you should, first of all, once if you are aware that what is the weak point of your business, every business has got a couple of weak points. I also, even though we have come to a good shape, we have a couple of weak points. So as a leader, I would suggest when you come to the office in the morning or when you wake up, you must think about that weak point and what you are going to do on the day about it. Means you take, you know, like cricket, we all Indians, you know, including me, we like cricket. Take the risk on the front foot rather than postponing it. And if you can highlight top three to five matrices that access business health in first 90 days as a leader? So, I think when I come over here, I mean, first 90 days, a couple of metrics I set up for myself was, uh, surely, you know, I wanted to establish the unit cost of my product line so that it helps me to analyze the profitability of the business. So again, I would say, your profit, how you are going to generate profit, that is the one quick matrix you should matrix you should look at. Number two matrix you should be looking also as your, you know, the key, let's say one is the revenue side, another is the cost side. So you should look at the cost side, what is your major driver of the cost. In my business, at this moment, people is the high majority of the cost. While I was in India, equipment was my majority of the cost. So it changes from industry to industry, business to business, geography to geography. So I would suggest that profit side, majority of the cost side, and third thing is your little bit insight on the futuristic clientele or you know which business direction you are going. Because even though you let's say you know your matrix and three month is you have not the good result. At, if you have faith in the market, faith in your customer segment, you can survive for a little longer and wait for a little longer. Deepak, that was very, very interesting. Uh, does anybody have any more questions to ask or we shall um, conclude this webinar? Hi, uh, good evening. My name is Arun Mahajan, colleague from Gurgaon. Uh, I have a very simple question. Uh, in your opinion, what should be done in Indian perspective, especially Indian real estate and infrastructure sector is struggling too much. And it is now going from last almost a decade. So what, what are the steps as a corporate and as a government uh, we should take? streamline the things. Okay. Hi, Arun. Thanks. Nice question. I think that is the problem we are facing for almost a couple of years now. And it doesn't look like that we are coming out very soon. Right. And uh, so one thing is, I think 
the, the priorities of the business, if you talk about um, real estate houses, and just for, you know, let you know that in Southeast Asia, I don't work for real estate customers, you know, because, you know, that due to buying behavior or something, we have exited that segment. We worked in Malaysia, we worked in Indonesia, but now we are not working it. The reason is a couple of fold, right? But I don't want to get into that argument, but from Indian point of view, the real estate organizations or corporates, where they gone wrong is perhaps, you know, ambitions and managing their cash flow. So how they will come out? God knows, I don't know. Any big business house is here. I mean, Kunal, you may add more. In Mumbai, how many corporate real estate business houses are still there? When I was studying or growing up, DLF and Unitech was the big names in India, isn't it? Both have disappeared, right? In Mumbai, then, you know, next decade, you see right now, I think Lodha Group or a couple of big business houses are around. It is changing. You are seeing that every decade, one name is adding and two names are going away. But whole business model, I have no clue, Arun, I'm sorry, but you know that again, it connects back to that, how they want to make business. Is it is the leadership plan to list the company and create value addition or is there a connect back that I want to provide timely housing to my customers? So I, I don't know. I sorry, I am not able to answer you on this, but because it's a very, very broad question and it is very mixed question <laughs> that so many stakeholders are there. Probably uh, one thing that I've been seeing in Mumbai for real estates that they are doing is they are consciously trying to beat on their inventory they are trying to come out of their inventory as quickly as possible uh, maybe also going out to do aggressive pricing because that is the only thing that is left to them um, uh, with the fact that real estate being the one of the second highest employers in the uh, Indian economy it is very very important that government does something to revive it but it's a long stretch dream that it will happen because so easily however uh, some of the important policies if you feel that you can take it to the government and really give them also a solution they are quite open to listening it that is what we have been seeing so a little bit of lobbying out there and going there and pushing the strategies which will help your organization to turn around may also help you in terms of coming out of it but otherwise there is an overall slowdown in the economy and uh, so is real estate equally impacted. We need to really wait for a while before we see some kind of a price reversal on the real estate. Gone are the days when probably uh, builders used to really pile up and sit on the inventory and really try to make big, uh, hoping that the prices will just go up and up and we will make big bucks out of it. Sure, thank you. Any other questions? that's it uh, i believe we are coming to an end of a very very engaging uh, webinar
Deepak, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, giving all the insights. We are really enlightened to have you today and getting all these learnings right from value capitalizing to exiting the product lines to become more focused, uh, getting on the core thing like cash is the king, people motivation or be it zero-based budgeting, navigating through the shareholders to the chairman uh, of your organization, how basically looking at the return on investments, understanding Singapore-India differences, understanding your insights on M&As and how it will impact finance. And last but not the least, um, <clears throat> understanding that how basically a role of a guy can lead to a CEO kind of a position or a managing director. That Thank you so much, Deepak, for all these enlightening thoughts. Uh, wait on to see more on what's coming next on Finance SIG. We have a ground event of economic conclave coming sometime in April. So do keep tapped and check on your webinar with a lot of exciting speakers. And thank you all for connecting over the webinar. Thank you, guys. Have a good time. Good night. Yeah. Good night. Thank you.